0: Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Jay Hersko. Joining me once again, I have Andrew Leff. What up? And Joel Zinstone. Hello, hello. Did I pronounce that right? You did. It only took six or seven episodes. Look at me. Uh, And we might have a special guest joining us later. Uh, He is, I think, busy right now downloading an illegal copy of Lightyear Um, Because he knows it won't be shown in China. So uh, what's the topic of this week's episode? So this is the first episode of the series uh, that we're titling Metaphors Matter. That's the name of the series. And what we're going to be talking about through the series is there's a lot of discussion right now in the public discourse about words and words matter. And based upon a bunch of conversations that some of us have had, we kind of are, are circling in a hypothesis that maybe some of the terminology we use in the world of agile and organizational change is the wrong words to use. So this episode, Joel did a presentation for me at a college course that I taught and it was brilliant and it was based on some of these ideas. So we're gonna actually dig through this and have a discussion around um, what starts off as the idea of are we mechanics or are we doctors? And with that lead in, Joel, I'm gonna pass it over to you.
1: Oh gosh, well, well, thank you. First off, and, and thank you for uh, the invitation a few months ago to speak to your class. That was a, a really incredible uh, opportunity. A shout out to Drexel University for sure. You guys are, are where it's happening. Um, so, so when we when, when we started this conversation, we probably really started this conversation a year or more ago. At this point, right, right, Jay. Yeah, we, we've been circling around this for a while. It. Um, it spun out of a, a number of conversations we had in the Agile Uprising Discord. Which, uh, by the way, if, if you're not a part of it, please come join our little community. It's a it's a great place to to learn and grow, and has been uh, the the hotbed for a tremendous amount of professional growth on on my part and, and many others. Um, but it was we were we've been talking around this idea of of what's coming next for Agile. What is coming next for the world of uh, that, that we live in, the professional uh, management and development and, and helping organizations be better world, um, especially in the aftermath of, of what can only be termed the, uh, the decade-long framework wars at this point, if not <laughs> more than a, than a decade. We're, we're kind of in the point now where, uh, where the battlefield is starting to clear out. You see the casualties left and right and, and the world's trying to figure out what the hell do we do next, right? Um, and when, when we started talking about this, we, we talked through uh, what kind of, of challenges are companies facing today, and, and one of the conclusions that we, we came to is that companies are, in many cases, facing some of the, the same challenges that they did uh, before Agile, and, and we asked, why? <laughs> why, why are they facing some of the, the same challenges. And and we'll, some of the conclusions that we started to come through to through those conversations, and honestly, that could be a whole podcast series in and of itself, right, mm-hmm. um, was that that when we come up with solutions to the challenges we face, we go back to the same playbook over and over and over again. We do some kind of a combination of a root cause analysis. We Uh, kind of create a a process or a new framework or methodologies to to try to fix that root cause. We hire people, we fire people, we train people, and uh, more often than not, we blame people. Uh, every, Every iteration of our work management we found different people to blame right it uh, started out in the world of, of waterfall in the 50s and 60s that would blame lazy workers deming came along and said you can't do that it's leadership's fault you know um the lean got developed more and said no it's the process owner's fault and uh, final, finally, when we kind of got to the world of Agile, we said, you know what? No, it's, it's everyone's fault. It's everyone's mindset's fault. People just don't think right. <laughs> you know? And we, we spent so much time sitting there blaming that, that we, uh, we decide um, that the only solution is to start some kind of a transformation. And we come up with a new word every iteration of this. Today, it's transformation transformation. Um, but but we've used many words throughout the, the decades, right? And and when we do that, we, we get buy-in, but usually by any means necessary, <laughs> right? There uh, whether it's you will buy in or you will not have a job, or you know, we, uh-huh. we gain buy-in by however we can. We roll out some new framework or process, and the additions we we've uh, brought to the table with the world of agile is we change people's mindsets and we change the culture. Those are the the rallying cries of, of the world of agile, right? And and our, uh, our conversation kind of boiled down to that, that this playbook of how we deal with problems and solutions really has two, two hidden assumptions baked into them that I think we, we should start our conversation around. Uh, one of them is that people and teams and processes and organizations are part of a system that you can replace upgrade um, get rid of modify tweak uh, if if they aren't operating the way that we want them to operate right if if they aren't doing or performing the things that that we want them to do we put them on a training plan we put them on a uh, a uh, a path to a new framework uh, we we do uh, we do coaching that sometimes uh, looks more like telling people uh, the list of things that they they need to do to be good. We do a lot of virtue signaling, right? Right. Um, and and then the other hidden assumption, and this is this is really what started. I think this this assumption that we uncovered really launched us into the conversation we're having today. And that is, and it's huge in the world of Agile. We have this assumption that teams, organizations, and companies should continue on indefinitely. They should effectively live forever, right? Uh, and this is huge in the world of Agile because uh, we, we talk through how we need to get teams to peak performance and, uh, and that, that high, those high-performing teams keep them there for as long as possible, et cetera and only, only restart uh, when when personnel changes, but we really kind of push under the rug and, and try to hide the, the idea that a team will end up dying and will end up ending, right? So I think that's a, a good place to, to start the, the discussion there uh, after kind of given some of that, that uh, background. So, uh, so, Lef, what do, you, what do you think about some of those, those initial topics there?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I love this topic. I love the metaphor. Uh, you know, it's something that I've been kind of toying with in my own brain. But something, something that has been, in, in my, you know, experience, I've been shying away from is, is that high-performing term. I find it to be fatiguing. I find it to be unrealistic. And I find it to be not necessarily in the spirit of I think how it was intended. Things have changed. So, you know, I like to talk about sustainability, right? So you can't always be high performing. So what are the quality standards that we want to support to be sustainable, predictable, though, you know, transparent and honest? So to me, I, I like. I like how you started this as far as what's next. And I think, you know, touching, pulling at some heartstrings in regards to how agile uprising, not to give ourselves a shameless plug, but that's really some of the genesis of how this all came about is, you know, what is next, right? Does Mm -hmm. agile become the next version of waterfall? Do companies start looking at it as a legacy type thing? How are we evolving and changing? And, you know, not to quote a you know, Steve Jobs, but putting a ding in the universe, right? So what, and I think that these discussions really kind of showcase the creativity that we can have, and the experimentation that it takes to, to prove some of this right or wrong, but it's all good, right? So um, <clears throat> let's reward organizations or people for failing, and, and, you know, fire the ones that strive for perfection. So I, right. I, I I love, I love where this is going. So I, that's and my Joel, opinion.
0: Keep me honest, but this actually started, this whole conversation started from a snarky comment, didn't it? It, what, I, it might've been you or so, John might've made so some 85% percent
1: of all of my deep thoughts start with snarky <laughs> comments. <laughs> so <it's the> problem.
0: <laughs> but, but I do remember, I specifically remember a conversation and you're right. We had it about a year ago where somebody made the remark of, you know, one of, our, one of our, maybe our failings, right? It was a navel-gazing, ruminating conversation where we said, one of our failings is we kind of look at things like we're mechanics, coaches, transformation heads, you know, directors of transformation, uh, Agile transformation office leads, whatever. We look at things almost like we're mechanics and we're here to upgrade your OS. We're going to uninstall Waterfall. We're going to reinstall Agile on top of it. Everything's just going to work out. And I think, and I think that kind of led us down the, the path of maybe some of these broad brush thoughts that we use that's just generally accepted knowledge and what we do and generally accepted practice. Maybe it's wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so along those lines, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever read, uh, you probably have because I'm convinced you've <laughs> read every, every book in the book of uh, the Library of Congress, But Robert M. Persig's uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Did did you ever dig into that? Yep. There's a there's a a quote out of that that just really impacted my my development probably five or six years ago when when I read it. And and note, this is something from the 70s. This is old stuff, right? (laughs) Um, But it said that uh, it talks about like how when you tear down a factory or you revolt against a government um, just because it's a system, like you're not actually doing anything, right? You're, you're, right. Not, um, you're not actually solving problems because if you don't actually tackle the underlying thought processes and the, the things that uh, that, are, are, that went into designing and creating that system to begin with, you're just going to recreate the system that that you're trying to move away from, and there is a—I know there's a sizable chunk of the agile community who literally see, sees that and believes that that's happening in the agile community today, right? Mm-hmm. As, as some of the popular scaling frameworks continue to grow and evolve, they they seem to appear to be a little bit more like rebranded Pimbot,
0: you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The, 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 to your point about, you know, the, the, the putting a facade on something. Uh, my last house, I was having my vinyl floor relayed. And as part of that, I needed to pop the toilet up because, they, you know, they don't they don't remove the commode. Right. They need to pop the toilet. up. Well, I couldn't get the toilet off the floor and I literally had to dig it out. And when I dug it out, I realized that there were three previous sets of vinyl flooring that they never moved the toilet. They just laid it up over the, 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 the base. So literally, I'm at Home Depot at 5.30 in the morning trying to find closet flanges that I could actually lift the toilet up higher than the floor level. But I bring this up as an, as an analogy for um, the organization is my subfloor, right? It's the floor. Yep. And if you think about historically what we've seen, first, first came Six Sigma and life was good. And then Six Sigma got a little old. That vinyl got a little old. There was so some, some spots. So what do we put on top of it? We put a PMBOK on top of that. And then that got a little old. And then we're walking in, putting Agile on top of it. And now you can't get the toilet off the floor. Um, there's probably plenty of other analogies I could use that toilet for, but I'm just don't I just do not i do not feel like it at this point. But to your point, right? we consistently lay these things over the top and we don't address the root cause problem. The root cause was I need to get the toilet off the floor so I can lay the tile to prevent things from going wonky.
1: Right. Right. And I I think what we're going to discover as we continue this conversation, just to give our listeners a preview is that, that that kind of cyclical rediscovery isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, And it's a very natural thing to occur but we still have a responsibility to try to dig in and, and fix some of those, those deeper issues. Right. (laughs) Right. So, so actually, you know what, that's a, that's a good place to start. Like let's talk about uh, the analogy. You you started out talking about the analogy of the mechanic, right. And Mm -hmm. how maybe a lot of the language that we use and a lot of the thought processes that we use, um, may compare companies and organizations and teams to to machines and uh, and some of the things that that entails do you want to do you want to maybe talk us through some of your thoughts about maybe what some of those uh, what some of the the phrases and, and ways that we think about that might be a little bit more mechanical in nature with uh, with how okay. we think about
0: this? yeah yeah so so think about it let's start from the the, the base base model right so, typically we talk about systems and systems analysis and systems coaching and complex adaptive systems. Well, systems, it's the word system itself, like everything else with semantic diffusion, it means different things to different people. But me personally, when I hear the term system, I think of, (laughs) here I am back to the toilet inadvertently, plumbing, right? I think of plumbing, right? It's a self-contained closed system. And there is a there is a multiple points of entry, multiple points of egress. There's routing here and there, but it's very mechanistic. And the thought is, when your plumbing goes south, you usually are kind of limited to one or two or three different ways to fix it, right? We it's consistently kind of linear, it. right? It's it's very, like- very. It's very linear. Again, it's it's there's a path, there's a process, and a lot of times when we come in as coaches, that's what we want to apply. Is we want to apply like the system's way of thinking, where I'm not disagreeing with the whole systems inspired leadership and left just in that brilliant interview with Marita. and the, the whole, you know, viewing things holistically as a system, like I, there is obviously value there. So don't take me out of context. What I'm saying is the usage of the term system is heavy, heavily cognitively loaded towards something that is easily reducible to something of complication. It's very mechanistic your engine and your car is a system, your exhaust is a system, all that sort of stuff. Where I think that maybe what we should think about is using something that's based, more based on a life form, right? That And that was where your point was, Joel, where when you let in, when you started talking about organizations, you know, survival is not mandatory. It's not mandatory in any living system and no living system, living, sorry, no living thing. See, that's how the pervasive the word is. Nothing is living forever and nothing is guaranteed to live forever. So why do, we, why do we treat companies as if they're just, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're, they're, um, they're, they're never going to die. They're almost invincible, right?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, so something you're saying and, and to jump in here is, is something also that, that, that puzzles me and makes me extremely curious in the sense of what happens when we walk through the doors of work or virtually log into work? The changes, our language, our presence, right? How we treat people, how we look at people. And when you talk about systems, right, I use that term a lot. And I that's another word that I I have a tendency to now shy away from because I'm in a software company. You know, I'm in the software industry. So systems mean something very different to an engineer than it does to a coach. And I find myself often using these terms that feel different that mean something to me. That translate different. It's kind of like, I don't know, for any car people out there, right? Like engineers engineer a car. When you go in as a mechanic to work on that car, you're like, why on earth would you put that there, right? Like, (laughs) I have no access. I can't get that out. Like, literally, I got (laughs) to remove the whole motor to get to a very small component that costs $12. So that type of thing, right? So how are we over-engineering our systems of people to mimic what we're trying to get to that becomes that kind of roadblock or that blocker or bottleneck from actually creating change because it's too deep it's technical debt it's almost like it's spaghetti code we can't unravel it there's too much that will break
1: so let uh i i kind of want to pick your your thoughts on this um do you think that the analogy of, of using words like systems and, and its ties to engineering and its ties to engineering design, do you think that that, uh, that, that alters how our leaders actually design uh, human systems and, and our organizations and, and the lives that people lead at work?
2: So it's an interesting question. And I think the thing that comes up for me is do I think our leaders care about how teams are designed? Uh, to me, I, I have, I've been working with, you know, numerous companies for a long time and I'm not sure that's in front, right? Like, Hey, you got to get stuff done. I have X amount of dollars to, to staff it. Right. I, I can't even sure. use the term resources, which is what most people will use, right. To staff this to, and and to deliver based upon an arbitrary date that no one ever vetted or scoped or you know understands the breadth of work or how heroic people are going to need to be, so I don't know if leadership cares. Right? Is this capitalized or is this non-capitalized? Can I recoup my cost or you know is this just all overhead? So I, I don't know. That's a tough question for me to answer. I think I lean into the side of I'm not sure that they're really. Triggered or acknowledging that that is something real, right? To them, it's like get it done. What part of get it to get it done don't you understand? Don't give me. I think you're right.
1: Like I I definitely think you're right. I think the one place that I think it does impact leadership a lot, though, is using uh, machine language makes makes leaders feel much more. Uh, emotionally numb to the reality of the actions that they take. Right,
0: right. Calling somebody a resource, it makes it easier to lay off, you don't, you know, you lay off resources. If you're stop calling people resources and you start calling them heartbeats, not even headcount, heartbeats. When you say I have to lay off some heartbeats, there is something that even, even if you are a pure sociopath and you won't admit it, and Lef and I have worked with some people who definitely fit that mold. <laughs> there is some part in the in your prefrontal cortex that has some sense of revulsion to that thought, because we're yeah. not engineered to be terrible to one another.
1: And,
2: and so, and just, I,
1: oh, go ahead, left.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say a yes. And it's when I w- it's funny you said heartbeats, right? I, I do like friends and enemies. Like either you want to be friends or you want to be enemies when in a team environment or even a group environment. I get a lot of interesting looks and I had one uh, executive tell me I don't need an effing therapy session right now. Right. So that, that goes to your point, right? Like, I don't know if they're really acknowledging the, even just the sim- simple approach of changing some language, how that can influence right. things in a way that could, Help support some change. Maybe good, maybe bad. We don't know.
1: Very true. So, so we had a, our uh, our special guest uh, sneak in here silently for the past five minutes or so. Uh, welcome, John. Um, you, you guys know him. He's been on here often. So, so thank you for for joining us tonight. Um, uh, and and we're talking, John, about uh, the the analogy of of seeing a company like a machine versus the company like. In uh, an organism, and we haven't quite gotten to the the organism viewpoint yet. Uh, we're, we're still on machines though.
3: <laughs> on the on the topic that you guys were just talking about, it was kind of funny. I was thinking of all these situations where you guys were talking about like you don't lay off heartbeats. I went to the mode of like we all know that w- um, in very and this is a very left field analogy, but in extreme cases, right? Everyone looks at the human anatomy or the human body and knows exactly what to expect of what's ideal right however in the worst case scenario if jay had something happen to his arm we all know he would survive and live without an arm and he would rather live than die but nobody wants to lose an arm but we all know how painful and permanent and it sucks to lose an arm and i feel like sometimes to your guys's point if i just say well i lost uh, one of my resources on my body everyone's like oh that stinks." nobody says that
0: <laughs> so, yeah um,
3: so I completely get it it was a good analogy
1: absolutely
3: so, uh, so let's uh, let's
1: shift the conversation a little bit towards the organism side of things because I think what what we're positing here is that um, not that that talking about a machine is necessarily bad or evil because we, we know that we don't exist in those, Binaries; those, those binaries are actually very harmful in, in our world, right? The same as seeing waterfall and agile as two binaries that you're either one or the other. We, we try to stay away from binaries, but when we're talking about kind of a a current state of where we are and where we want to move towards eventually, uh, Jay, what, what are some of the things that you think about uh, about thinking about a company like more of of an organism and? Uh, and something that's a little bit more doctorish than mechanic
0: <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I think that, and I hope I don't get out, get too far out over my skis because we have a later episode where we're really going to dig into the mental model that i created for myself. Everybody's going to tell me I'm insane. Maybe I end up committed. Um, <laughs> but I, I think when you think of an, uh, think of a company like an organism, right? Organism, organization, organ, it all has the same Latin root. And no, I don't remember what it is. Um, So if you think of a company like an organism, what does that mean? Well, there are different parts of an organism. They have different life cycles. They have different um, paces. They have different pulse rates, right? Things evolve or devolve at different speeds at different times for different reasons. Results of entropy, results of changes in the uh, the organism itself. But all these different pieces are all working on their own cycles, their own heart rate, their own respiration rate, but they are all joined together for a greater purpose. So, for I mean, if we really wanted to go down to the biology, we could talk about stem cells versus T-cells versus helper cells, all the different makeup of our blood, right? These are all different things, different roles to fill. Um, stem cells are a great example because they're, they're, they're David Epstein's range, right? They're not a specialist. They're a generalist. They go where they're needed. Um, but thinking of, thinking of the company you work in, not as a machine, but as a living organism, that has its own motivations that has its own goals, but also there are parts of the organism that maybe get sick. And that's another episode we're going to talk about the idea of organizational illness. What's an illness, what's an injury, what's a disease and those type of analogies. Cause again, we're all centering on metaphors here. I think thinking like, um, thinking of things in terms of a life cycle, not a, um, not an eternal type of organization, but thinking about something where, um, we're on a journey of life, and sometimes you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, and you have to jettison something—be that a job, a relationship, a spouse. Unfortunately, maybe when it comes to big organizations, it's a business line, it's a product because we're going in a different direction. Right? I think just the in, the injection of using those type of uh, organistic wording, nomenclature, syntax, I think would probably help us talk to each other a little better because the cognitive load that comes with something that's living versus something that's inanimate is different. And it sets a different frame.
2: And, yeah. And it, you know. oh, go good. No, sorry, Joe. I keep interrupting you. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, uh, for me, it's something that uh, we were talking about on discord a little bit. And um, it's, I've been experimenting with it around organizational health. Right. So when you talk about organisms, so What is the health of the organization? And then are we treating symptoms? Are we doctors? Are we first responders, right? Are we taking things right as we see them to try and, you know, revive a heartbeat? Or are we plastic surgeons just making cosmetic fixes? So to me, there's something there about how do we connect the common things that we experience? Everyone goes to the doctor or mostly everyone, right? At some point in your life. So you you understand that. And you understand that when you're healthy or not healthy, right? You also understand that when the doctor's like your cholesterol is through the roof, you need to stop eating X, Y, and Z. It's a choice. Either you choose to or you don't. Oh, I can medicate you. You can go on a statin, but it's not going to get you to where you need to be because you need to do these other things. So I think there's that. this is a compelling way to, to be able to inspire change differently than brute force right you need to change here's the method here's the words follow the rules that doesn't inspire many people so if you give people the option to to train to be healthy right like how do organizations create capacity to learn you never showcase that so i think there's there's a lot of wisdom in in kind of this approach and a lot of learning that could come out of it that i don't think we've even tapped into
1: yet in in this way so lucky in the whole health of the organization. Um, one of the things that it's always struck me about the world of agile is we we have a tendency and it's nothing. Obviously, right, it's, it's not a blanket statement of everything. Um, uh, oftentimes we talk about Agile as if it's the achieving a high degree of agility is the Shangri-La, the, the ultimate goal, right? And and one of the things that's always struck me is that uh, Agile seems like it's an important, but really only just one dimension of health that, that a healthy company and a, a healthy organism needs to have. Um, so... So what do you, what do you think about, uh, and and by the way, am I, am I back? Yep. You're back. back. Sorry if I cut out there for a minute. Um, but what do you, what do you think about other dimensions of health? And is that a healthy way of, of seeing past our agile movement of of seeing more dimensions of health and and talking about more dimensions of health than just agility?
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, this could be not a good thing for me to say publicly, but I don't talk about Agile anymore. Like I, when, when I was at a, at the a conference last week, one of my co- former colleagues said, I'm a, a Agile coach in recovery. I'm a recovering Agile coach, right? <laughs> so I, to me, Agile is a distraction because it feels, it feels like a solution, but to me, it's, Uh, I I struggle with being corny, but it's a movement, right? We can use agile mindset and behavior to create a movement. And we just need people to trust that, you know what, we're not institutionalizing things. We're building schools, we're learning, and we're taking that data to make different decisions that are informed through our learnings. And I think that also, like, it's like medicine. It's called a practice for a reason, right? Like uh-huh. it's, it's, it's not called the, you know, the, the, the fix it or the solution, or it's called a practice. You go in and doctors are practicing medicine. So I think it's interesting that certain disciplines and professions actually use the word practice. Yeah. What if you were called a a practice coach, right? Like would that give you emphasis to come in differently or a practice leader? I don't know. Um, I just, I think that the, there's, again, uh, there's there's a lot of kind of playfulness that we could have if, if people would just trust that failure is, is a great thing. Failing forward is, is yeah. we should all aspire to continue to fail forward.
0: And I think it's trust. I think the biggest thing is just, just assuming that everyone's here with a positive intent, trying to make the world better. We can then, like you said, play with words. Um, John, one of the things that when I went back, I actually went back through one of our old threads. And one of the things that you kept hitting on was, um, and by the way, for those of you listening, these two are the worst, John and Joel are the worst to be in a chat room with. I'm traveling to Portland. I'm busy with work. I'm on a different time zone. I'm not checking discord. I logged in and it gives me this prompt that I have 1,127 unread messages. And it literally took me two hours in the airport to go through all these things and leave notes. So I kind of hate these guys. I love these guys, but I hate these guys. Um, John, one of the things you brought up was the idea of knowledge and how, when we look at things mechanistically, knowledge is downloadable. It's trainable. You write a playbook. You pass. You know, it's just out there. It's in confluence. Read the wiki. Yeah. Where knowledge in an in an organism, it's reproduced. It's reconstituted. It's rediscovered. We talked about mitosis. Um, can you can you give us uh, go out go in a little bit on that and yeah, the thought behind that
3: it's a it's a fascinating to honestly I even struggle to talk about it because'm I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around it myself but people I mean I'm looking back at the analogy of just like mechanical and what was talking about there too because a lot of when we talk about the company needs to be a machine and maybe this is also my pessimism coming out with from left's uh, I'm just piggybacking the, we tend to like praise when people are acting in a machine like way, when the only thing I see is, well, we should have automated that and move the person to something better than. And like, so I, I always say like, oh, he's a machine or she's a machine banging up this code. And I'm like, well then we probably should have automated this. This is probably a not a good thing. We put that person on a harder problem if it's so easy for them. And it goes back to the whole knowledge thing that you just brought up where The knowledge that we crave for as people that actually gives us purpose and meaning and drive is not going to come from a confluence page. Yes, it's great to have those things. It gives people context. It helps them learn. But the real value in the knowledge that we're going to get is not going to come from what you put on a piece of paper or in a diagram like it is helpful. So when we get into the organic piece of this and where knowledge actually is sourced from, this is where I start to think about things like the focusing more on the whole advisory and coaching and the mentorship and practices and really leaning on that and saying, hey, are you really sharing your experiences, your learning and how your health of your your people are learning from what you did behaviorally and action wise to be where you are? And I don't think we have too many pragmatic conversations around, uh, we were literally just talking about this recently too, Um, hey, I'm going to consult what I know is best, coach what I think works for you, and then give you the reality of how it's really going to go down. And there's like three different conversations. And if you really give them all three, now you're giving them the organic knowledge. And that's how I feel Like we don't have enough of that second and third layer I just mentioned, where it's really just consult and you should do this. And nobody gets into the Coaching and then the no, this is how it really happens. To conversation enough because right. we all know why, right? Secrecy is power. Power means you're important, and a lot of people still use that, which is why the whole organic and mitosis
0: knowledge is not natural today. Right? We look at things, and and it's it's a kind of a human thing. We treat things as a almost competitive advantage. I know you don't, and I'm going to use that to my to my benefit. Where. You know, you were talking about that, and I looked over my shoulder because um, there's a guy that's been on Jim Rutt show a couple of times. His name is Tyson Young Caporta. He's an aborigine from Australia. Mm. Obviously, where else would he be from? Um, and, but he talks about – his book is all about um, the narrative and knowledge that's passed down through generations, through storytelling, the importance of verbal communication, and how – you know that. What got humanity where we are is our ability to pass, you know, aside from the fact that we, you know, we have civil machines, um, and we can collaborate. Part of that collaboration is communication and the passage of knowledge down. And we do, you know, we can have the nature versus nurture debate till we're all blue in the face. Um, we could agree to disagree, but there is no denying that there are certain parts um, of ourselves and not only our organizational success that can only come from interacting with the organism and having that conversation and picking up that knowledge through what's happened and what's come before. And that organic view of of knowledge to me was like kind of, it was very, very resonant Mm -hmm. because nothing is worse than when you start a job and they point you at their SharePoint site and they say, go read all the pages you can find. And most of us do that. And we do it for like three hours. And we're like, okay, well, now I have the purely sanitized Facebook clean version of how this relationship is. (laughs) Now, let me talk to the relationship counselor, because I really want to see when it's war, the roses and their wing and pottery at each other. Tell me what's really going on. Mm.
1: Because
2: it's
0: a sanitized, idealistic version. When you get into the mechanical, it's very sanitized. It's very idealistic. It's very binary, where realize and, and very efficient which is why it's
1: attractive right
0: um,
1: dealing with so to go back to your nice little toilet and plumbing analogy um, dealing with with waste with a waste plant a plumbing system all the way up to your toilet is far more efficient and uh, and and neat and tidy than putting together a, a a pond that the waste flows into, where there's a natural balance of bacteria that deal with the waste, based on the number of humans that that are in the area, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Um, it's it's far more efficient to do it with that, but it also uh, it also has a lot of not necessarily desirable side effects, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, things like the material that we use in, in our pipes, things like what do we do with the stuff that is left over after the, the waste processor gets done with it. Um, and, and so when we, when we talk about that in terms of, of companies, we see very much the same thing where uh, knowledge transfer. We, we, we believe that we can just hook an Ethernet cable into one person's ear, hook it into the other person's ear, download knowledge from one to another via a confluence page or a knowledge transfer session or what have you but the reality is is that's a sanitized highly efficient but far far less quality way to to transfer knowledge compared to the the organic
0: messy version right 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 And, and it's very it's i mean so let's let's we're, we've talked about organisms. We've talked about you know the analogies. We've talked about the words we use. We've talked about <laughs> toilets and plumbing. Um, when we start talking about the idea of uh, uh, sort of where, where am I going with this? So when we talk about transformation, right? Organizational transformation, organizational change, agile, not agile, lean, safe, DevOps, digital, whatever, right? We talk about we view things mechanically. It's we need strong leadership support. We need to supply resources to coach and to transform. We need to, um, and Joel, and I'm, I'm literally stealing from Joel's slide. Uh, we need to replace the parts of the system which are incompatible with the transformation's goal. What? Right? Well, That's how we view things in the mechanical world. And when I just say that out loud, I'm like,
1: this is really delusional. But Jay, how often have we had the conversation about how agile transformations would be, and, and this is in the agile world with well-meaning people who, who love agile, who are not, are, are trying to help everyone be better. We have these conversations where we talk about how um, the whole agile transformation would just go better if we would just replace the executives, just just chop off the head and, and everything's good. Well, guess what? Chopping off the head isn't gonna make things good. Right. It
0: doesn't save the patient, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but to chopping off the head, right? You you talked about Joel um when we had when you did your presentation. Um, successful transformations require understanding the, men- the dimensionality of health, yeah. right? It's it's a rubric of multiple lenses and and when you're trying to be healthy as a person, right? You make small changes here and there to kind of adjust and, and, and retrain where you're going. Um, and you talk about, do not use, you try to not use demat, dramatic system-wide shocks to a system, to a body, right? We don't want to do that unless, and you call it out, your wording is great, I'm going to steal it verbatim. Um, only when the risk of death is higher if you don't. And then it only can be done under careful supervision. So how many times have we been involved in transformations where it's literally equivalent of getting out the paddles, left charge of 250, clear, bzzz. like that, you know, Hollywood grossly, I, I've never had my uh, defibrillator run on me, thankfully, knock on wood, hopefully I won't need one. Um, but. That is highly destructive to our body. What it does to, you. like the third degree burns. They don't, nobody in, in TV or movies talks about the third degree burns that you basically get from sticking up a, a breaker from your circuit breaker box on your chest and pumping it through your heart. It's destructive. I mean, yeah. the ends may justify the means, but it is very destructive.
1: But, but how often is that exactly what we're told our job is as coaches? Like that, where our first go to is to start a big transformation and that's what we've got to do.
0: Only the days that end in not Only the days that I didn't So, know
3: But I, I think I, you're, got, I, you know it's really crazy about just the, you know, the changes of the life cycle and stuff. If we want to get on that topic more, like, I'm just going through my head with this conversation, how much, and we all know this, right. That you just learn and have experiences for, and then we are coaches that are usually engaging with people that are usually at the youngest age of 20 and 22, all the way up to their sixties, sometimes seventies. And like, can you imagine, like we are coaches that engage people that have 40 or 50 years of experience in their life and emotions and impacts and all these types of things. And here we are inserting this massive, huge, complex thing, adjusting all these behaviors. And we're expected to just assume that that, that to your point, plug the ethernet in, download, you'll be fine. Yep. To, to assume that machines are just there to be optimized for performance, as the words say, like is just so spot on and resonates. And looking at the different health and like I was what the analogy that was going through my head is look at all of the people, and this is maybe a weird analogy, but in the sports world, all the people that are just naturally gifted to be super tall or those types of things, they take advantage of it and exploit it. But then you have these people that sometimes are just, you know, all they are is five, eleven, or six foot, but they perfect their craft, work their game, and they start when they're like eight or 10 years old and they do really dang well and they still make it to the NBA because they worked hard and had that ethic. And I feel like there's a lot of that type of top tier talent out there, where unfortunately they have to go through the headwinds of doing that and going through this. And once again, it goes back to just, there is top talent out there that they almost do it in spite of the organization and make it on their own. And I'm just just looking at this, this whole life cycle of what people are going through in their health. And it's just amazing to just think about I never really put it in perspective of like, hey, this is a 40-year-old woman who's been through a lot, and I'm trying to coach her on something very dramatic. I don't, and this is just calling myself out. I really don't take the time to think about the 40 years of life that she's been through to make sure this change is really what she needs to do, like a doctor does. Mm -hmm. And like does that analysis, (laughs) Like, like something that happened to her when she was six might be really important to the diagnosis of the change. Well, we just throw all that out the window as coaches. (laughs) And John, to to your point,
1: I I think that's a, that's really important to call out, right? Because uh, when, when we think about the, uh, when we start thinking more in terms of life cycle, we stop thinking that that 40 year old woman who has a, has 40 years of knowledge, probably 20 years of skills that she's built up in her career can and should instantly be just replaceable by somebody else, right? Yep. And and we we stop thinking about uh, about replacing her if she's not working appropriately or not not meeting the needs or whatever. If she's sick, we we stop thinking in terms of she's broken, and we start thinking about in terms of how do we how do we help her, right? And, and all of a sudden, we've injected a layer of empathy in there that uh, that many people don't get to experience very often in their in their work lives, which comprises at least a third of their weekdays. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Right. Uh, you make mm. me in this in this kind of like subtopic we're talking at here. It makes me think of, I had Troy come in once to do a presentation on spiral dynamics, and he literally terrified people and melted their brains, um, which is neither here nor there. But one of the terms he kept using when we talked about spiral dynamics is the idea of positive manifestation, where it is not our job to change people. It is not our job to take you from a blue to a purple, to a green, to a coral or whatever, a teal, you know, Mr. Lelou's stuff. His, his statement that he kept reiterating in, in the presentation was, we need to find a way to get people to be the most positive manifestation of what they are, yeah. A, a, yeah. of what they can be. And that will lead to better change. And I think sometimes, again, this is a biological thing. We need to make sure that people are set up to do the best job that they can do based upon their intended function. And the perfect example, look at gut flora. Inside of our human digestive system, where bacteria is typically when you say bacteria, everybody automatically has the assumption that it's bad bacteria is bad you don't want bacteria, but we all know now that bacteria in our stomachs is good, the bacteria that grows in the human gut is changing. Right, we know that when you take antibiotics you better take a probiotic on behind it because your stomach is going to be distraught. Right, so it's that, that bacteria is a positive manifestation in the organism right which is going to get to like episode 4 or 5 when we really get in the rabbit hole um it's it's evolving with its host and those are important things to think about right we don't want to change it we want to help it be the best piece that it can be so, so yeah so i want to go to left cuz he's grinning as I, as i'm talking oh yeah, i hit, yeah, I, hit yeah, I hit a just, nerve somewhere
2: there's so much here the popcorn is popping but um <laughs> A few things come to my mind, right? So uh, Muhammad Ali quote, service to others is the rent we pay here on earth, right? Why is that such a hard concept? A Deming quote, right? Like every system's perfectly designed to get the results it gets. We prove it every day. So when we're talking about this health, right? Organisms and you, you, we talked about just treating them and something that everyone has kind of, and, and um, gosh, John really hit it like surgery, right? If we cut something out, how do we treat the wound? How do we rehab what we've just removed, right? Just because you move the person or the leader or the the coach, what is the impact to the whole ecosystem or to the body of the organ, um, the company, right? That we're now have to rehab something or there's a scar there that takes a long time to heal. So again, just touching on that, it's connect we can connect to that it's 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 connectable right it's not some abstract software concept or some weird coaching kind of concept it's it's relatable right if you've ever had surgery you know it sucks to heal and go through the process of rehabbing and and getting back on your feet and just getting back to where you were and you may never get there right you might not be able to obtain that same level as where you were just based upon how much trauma your body has experienced.
1: So I love where you're going with that left, because it's it's really tying into the the topic that John brought up of of life cycle. Like, when we know, we know that um, in our human bodies, the older that we get, the dimensions of health change, right? We, we accrue more, more trauma, we accrue uh, surgeries, we, we accrue things that, Uh, that permanently alter our body and and we can't we can't get some things that we had in our youth back right Um, I all transparency I'm I'm 35 and I'm starting to feel that you know I know I know that's uh, that's young for for some of the folks listening here but but it, it it does start in your 30s where you start feeling that hey you know what This doesn't work like it like it
0: used to, you know. Why do I sound like Rice Krispies when I get out of bed? It's all these noises. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And and so when we when we
1: start thinking about companies and teams and organizations as uh, as an organism, and we start we start assuming that 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 has a life cycle that a company will be born, it will live, and it will die one of the things that's really interesting to me is this idea that the dimensions of health are going to be radically different when a company is in its youth compared to when it's, when it's elderly, right? Like we're not going to expect a a 95 year old man to be as physically agile and nimble as a 20 year old. That would be insane, right? We might celebrate it if it happens, if it just happens to happen. We would praise that, but we wouldn't make that a baseline expectation. But we do that with companies all the time. We go in and, and we, we see um, podcast after podcast with, with companies uh, and, and presentation after presentation that says 95-year-old IT department, not actually 95-year-old, but you need to go compete with the Googles and the Amazons. You need to go compete with all the startups that are out there. You need to have the same level of agility as everybody else. Now, is that the reality of of competition in the marketplace? Maybe, but should we be thinking about it that way? Mm.
2: The... the, Uh, No, go on, left. No, go, go on. No, I, I say no, right? Like, why why compare yourself? It's To me, it's what's the sense of urgency for your organization? How are you inspiring the innovation needed to stay relevant? And how are you pushing the envelope, whether you're in product, software, whatever it might be, to constantly deal with the change? If COVID didn't teach us anything, it taught us that we have to be able to change. And at any cost, at any sort of point in time, no one is safe, right? A, a, A disease can shut down the world. So- how how are we taking that data and using it to to really focus in on what's important uh, we're not Google right like there's only one Google so right. why are we comparing we don't a lot of companies don't know at what speed they're traveling at to date right? right they they could be moving too fast they can't read the signs right it's the data is just a blur so what is this speed kind of to me vanity metric that to me it doesn't matter, right Like right. we should be delivering quality on top of quality on top of customer need and and really addressing things in a way that puts us in the driver's seat as an organization and starts to educate our consumers right so, not the other way and at and, 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 and bidirectional our consumers educate us and you know hitting the return key a thousand times that's bad user behavior. I'm not going to fix that right that's just not a good idea
1: yeah. So, so, so if I'm if I'm hearing you right and, and putting it into the, the context of kind of the organic life cycle, what you're saying is maybe for those those elderly type of, of companies, those those uh, more more late stage type of life cycle teams and things like that, maybe what we need to be looking at is uh, giving them the best quality of life where they're where they're getting the most out of the capabilities that they can possibly have, right? And, and not trying uh, to say that they
3: need to be the same as as so that twenty year old. Weird, weird thought. Um, I'm, I don't know how to word this. So I'm just going to vomit it out. But we're talking about like you know the health of a company and what it can handle based off that age and complexity within the uh, um, organism that's being induced because of that. And it started to make me think like is when we say the age and like what the mindset of that, maybe mindset is the age and what's coming to my head is, is senior leadership or the C-suite indicative of what the age of the company is? Cause you could hire a new CEO. And it's like, is that a new birth? Like, is that, is that age refreshed now? Is that, is that new life in a different uh, organism? No,
0: no, it's a ship of Theseus. No, look, look at, look at, look at, look at our American political climate in Congress. We get new congressmen occasionally, you know, here comes, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. Here's a new boss, same as the old boss. No, I don't think so. I don't so think so.
3: Even if, even if we wiped out like an, an entire, and I don't mean that literally like, but like if we had a massive chance, like every single person in Congress and every single like position was a new person tomorrow, you pretty much would be like, well, the system's the system. It's like, it's going to yeah. stay and it's going to keep going. Like, uh,
0: if that happened, we'd end up with shout out to Kiefer Sutherland, and designated survivor. The first couple of seasons were pretty good. They kind of fell <laughs> off at the end. Um, but but, but it, to that example, though, the only way you could truly reboot these system, right, would have to be that type of wholesale replacement for almost an entire generation. Like you'd have to lose tier one, tier two, tier three. Anyone who comes in okay. with that preconceived mental model of this is how things work.
3: So let me add one more little spice, and then I'm curious what left, like, okay, maybe a simple swap of a CEO, but what? maybe it's like the, uh, maybe there's more variables to that. Like, okay, if you're going from a 65 or seven-year-old CEO who just retired, and now like a 35-year-old came in or 40, and like, it's a different generational thing, it's a completely different shift, maybe that will sway the change. But like, this is what was going through my head though when we were talking about like, can a company... Is it like, does it just age and it just is what it is and it's going to die at some point or can it re- kind of recuperate or change itself? And I was just challenging myself on that.
2: No, and, and I hope my words didn't come across as like ageism, right? So as we get older, we're no longer, right. to me, it's it's right. the wisdom of 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 the people that are leading and, and are they thirsty to continue to learn or are yes. they stuck 20 years ago when they were successful and have been able to capitalize for a long time based upon a snapshot of their success? And to me, I'm inspired by people that are constantly looking to, I don't care what your age is, right? Like I'll use my father as an example. He is one of the best leaders I've ever met, right? And he's almost 80 and he still works five days a week, six days a week. And he is so dedicated to changing things and is so frustrated by the younger leadership that he has to deal with. Right. Because (laughs) they don't aspire for the same things. It's transactional, it's financial, it's how do I get, you know, achieve a certain financial level. But so I don't, I don't look at it as an age thing. I look at it as, you know, how much wisdom are you looking to, to, to share And how are you continuing to explore your learning? Well,
3: honestly, I can see the polar opposite scenario, by the way, just to make sure I'm on the same because there are companies that um, are like unicorns with actually young talent and then they grow too fast and then the young person that is a CEO can't handle it so they do bring in an older mature wisdom person for the growth so it goes both ways.
0: Zuckerberg yeah, it, tried yeah. that. It didn't really work out for him.
3: It? It yeah. um...
1: Do you think this is an important thing to call out though? So when, when we're talking about life cycles and age and, and things like that, and talking about different dimensions of health uh, through, through different parts of the life cycle where we, we don't want to devalue any part of that life cycle, right? Because it is, yes, it is extremely important. Um, so while While people and organizations and companies and their youth may be fast learning, they may be at their peak performance levels in terms of of sheer learning potential and and productivity and things like that, um, they're, they're also making a ton of mistakes, and sometimes quite dramatically so, sometimes quite societally altering so, Putting Mark Zuckerberg in, 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 in charge of the world's most powerful company at the age of 20 something was probably a tactical and strategic mistake on society's part, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> like, like I I don't think any of us predict could predict how much power that would amass um, and, and how much at speed. Uh, yeah. How much speed and how much damage that could do to, to the fabric of, of society, right? Um, But but I I, want to make sure that that people who are uh, who are maybe uh, in the in older generations uh, listening to that understand that uh, all of us here uh, on this podcast have a tremendous amount of respect and and really revere uh, the wisdom the experiences that that you bring to the table so
0: absolutely absolutely it's not and, and this conversation. Um, is not meant to denigrate those with the experience, which you know, it's data leads to information, leads to knowledge, leads to wisdom, right? And wisdom can only be gained through time and experience. Um, it, if anything, it's it's a we need a a um, a refocused emphasis of the acknowledgement that the wisdom these people br- that bring and the wisdom they could provide us to carry forward. And so um, we're we're coming up on the hour mark, but I wanna introduce one of these last slides, Joel. We're gonna need a second episode on just this topic. Um, One of the slides you talked about here is the idea of adjusted expectations that comes with the change in nomenclature, mechanical versus biological. So when you talk about uh, when things are mechanical, they're assumed, to the system is assumed to last indefinitely when it's properly maintained, and as long as replacement parts are available, right? Whereas an organic approach, the organic mindset, there is a life cycle. They born, maturity, life, death. Life, that life can be extended somewhat by, by minor changes in health and planning, but only to a certain point. And on the back of that is where I really think you hit the nail on the head, where you said in a mechanical system, machines find their purpose in their performance, right? The performance of the system, where in an organic metaphor, the organism finds its purpose in both the meaning and its legacy. And that I think, right, like those are two bullets you threw on that page that really made me stop and think because – a better question to an organization is how how efficient or how effective are you? That's not the best question. The best question is what is your purposeful meaning? And what is the legacy that you will leave behind? And let's be honest here, Facebook start, let's use Facebook as an example. I'll throw this out here. Started out with the best of intentions, right? It, it was gonna be a way to connect all of us. And the legacy Facebook is gonna leave behind is a, a system that turned out to be manipulated it, it changed our dopamine receptors, and it was more divisive than any other previous innovation to that point.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I think that I think that that's probably a, a great place to to kind of wrap up the discussion on is that that kind of core of mechanical versus organic thinking and the expectations is are we thinking about performance or are we thinking about the legacy that, that our organizations are going to leave behind? So I think that's that's the perfect way to sum that
0: up, Jay. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So I'll take us home. Uh, gents, thanks for joining us all on this conversation. Um, for our audience, thanks for tuning in once again. Again, this is the first in a ready plan series. So it's not like we're going to talk about a series and not do it. We have episode two on the mechanical versus the organistic coming. We have an episode on survivability versus adaptability, comparing those two in relation to a biological entity in comparison to a system view. What does that mean? We're going to talk about it. We have an episode talking about organizational sickness. What is the difference between an illness, a sickness, an injury, and a disease? And how do we treat those things through this organic lens? And we have yet another, um, the fi- what probably might be end of the final episode in the series, where we're going to talk about If we're going to refer to things no longer as an engineering term, but as a biological term, if we're pulling not from engineering from biology, what word do we use to describe all of this? And how does co-evolution of multiple disparate entities result in success? Um, More to come on this one. Hopefully you're into it. So once again, join the conversation on Discord. We are talking about this stuff. If you like what you heard, leave us a review, a rating on your podcast platform of choice shout out to machine man records and Krebs for giving us our outro music free of charge someday we will monetize our youtube channel someday and last but not least we are always committed to being free however we do have a patreon if you want to chip in let uh feel free to sign up to help offset hosting and production costs we actually have a tier which is gives out a gift once a quarter uh dense quarter they're going out and i don't want to talk about I really can't even, I can't even come up with a a not inappropriate analogy. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Once a quarter, you get a present from me, you might kind of enjoy it. So I want to thank John, Joel, and uh, Andrew for coming on. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out.